Um, we're going to look at the same text. This is sort of a part two. Um, Pastor John preached on faith, and we're going to be looking on the grace aspect of our text today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And um, when we look at this passage, there's so much in it um, that we are not going to finish looking at everything. Um, so if you'd like to talk about it afterwards, we can. But there's three things I want to focus on. The main point we'll be focusing on is grace. But the three things I want to focus on is the meaning of grace, the measure of grace, and then the mission of grace. So before we look at God's word, let's pray to him and ask for his blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your grace in your Son, Jesus Christ. Would you bless the reading and the preaching of your word for the glory of your name and the edification of the church? We all here are in desperate need of your grace. May we have the grace and peace we need. May we all visibly see and audibly hear your word. May we see more of the person of grace, your son. Thank you for hearing us because of Jesus Christ, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Three things, the meaning of grace, the measure of grace, and then the mission of grace. First, let's look at the meaning of grace. Grace. Grace is the unmerited, unearned 
undeserved favor of God. Grace. Um, rewards are merited. Wages are earned. But grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. That's the meaning of grace. And we're gonna, we begin to see that in verses 1 to 3. In verse 1 to 3, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's a lot of things here, but... In verses 1 to 2, Paul is addressing Gentiles. He's using the pronoun you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And in verse 3, he says, among, among whom we all, and Paul is a Jew. So Paul is talking to Gentiles and Jews. And that's, that twofold division is the Bible's way of addressing mankind. So everyone in this room, all mankind justly deserve God's wrath. And he gives us at least two reasons. First, from the moment we were born, we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature sinful. Another way of saying that is, we had a natural inclination, disposition, ability to sin. We wanted to do evil. That's the first reason. The second reason is we not only had this natural inclination, we acted upon this natural inclination and we have sinned. We actualized our sins. The problem, or one of the greatest problems of the world is you and me. The problem is mankind. Um, if you want another way of saying what Paul is saying is, we all do evil, and we all are evil. And that's what he says. And since that's the case, what we merit, what we earn, what we deserve is God's wrath. And according to these verses, we don't even deserve any good at all. In fact, we are ill-deserving of all good, and we are deserving of misery. God's wrath. Why? Because we do evil and because we are evil. Um, I know this is something we don't like to hear because we don't like to be criticized. Um, but the Bible is loving in that way. It tells us something that we need to hear. And if we think about it, just looking at our own lives, isn't that true? Like, have you ever once thought, man, I did something pretty messed up, or man, I'm pretty messed up. And the Bible knows what the problem is. So do you know that you and me deserve 
God's wrath. Wrath, punishment. And that if we were all condemned and we spent eternity in hell, that God would be right. But maybe you're here today and you don't believe you deserve God's wrath. Maybe you believe, I know I'm, I'm not that good, but I'm not that bad. Just, just a question is, why do you think that? Why might you be so opposed to the idea that you are evil and you do evil and you do deserve God's wrath? And I know this may not be a good argument, but I just want to give an illustration if I had a child, and let's say you are the offender in this case, if I had a child and you murdered my child, or you committed adultery with my child, or you stole from my child, or you bore false witness against my child, or you coveted my child who's in a monogamous um, marriage, or you insulted you said an insult to my child, or you said an insult about my child, which is gossip. If in any way you sinned against my child, what do you think you deserve from me? My favor or my wrath? What if it was your child and I am the offender? And then now here's the scariest one of them all. What do you think you deserve from God from sinning against his creation or sinning against him. So we all know this intuitively. I don't think we like to think about it. But that's what Paul says. In verse 1, we learned that we are all dead spiritually. And we're all going to die physically. It's being realized. In verses 2 to 3, we see that we do evil and we are evil. We all are responsible. The wages for sin is death. And that is what we all have worked for. What we have merited. What we have earned. What we deserve is God's wrath, not his favor. It's his wrath in this life and in the life to come. And it's completely fair. And it is our fault. That's, that's a hard thing to say. But the Bible is um, true in that way. So what's the meaning of grace? This doesn't sound very good so far. We start to see more of it in verse 4 from seeing ourselves in our true position. In, in verse 4, in stark contrast to us, completely apart from us, not us, in verses 1 to 3, we, 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 or you, 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 but in verse 4, it says, God, God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Why? Didn't we just establish in verses 1, 2, and 3 that we deserve God's wrath? Why do we deserve his favor? What do we do to deserve such favor? And the answer is, we did absolutely nothing 
In fact, we did absolutely everything to not deserve his favor. So why? Maybe, maybe we did something small that was good, or maybe God saw our potential to be good. Well, according to verse 4, it says, all we contributed was that we're dead in our trespasses. That's what it says. We didn't contribute any token of good. And apart from God, we are not actually or potentially good. We are dead. So if not us, if not because of us, then who? God. Yes, God, I understand, yes, God. But what other reason? There is no other reason. Just God. Why? Because God is rich in mercy. Because God greatly loves. How great does God love? How greatly does God love? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. God is so rich in mercy. And God so greatly loves that there's nothing worse than being dead, right? That even in our absolute worst state, he made us alive together with Christ. Just God. Um, There's at least three things I want to point out with this verse. The first thing is, that's who God is. That is the God of the Bible. Despite our being so evil, God is that good. Uh, think about it this way. Would you ever do something so good to, to your enemy? I wouldn't do that. God is that good. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to realize is there is no wretched state or sin that you can be in that's out of reach for God. Why? Because he reached you in your absolute worst state, which is dead. That's the second thing I want you to realize. And the third thing I want you to realize is this is the meaning of grace. By grace, you have been saved. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. Grace. One of the most regrettable moments in my entire life is how shamefully I acted towards my mom. I was in high school and I was in choir and we had a concert and I didn't want her to come because I was embarrassed. After performing, uh, she meets me in the parking lot with a bag of McDonald's, and she praises me. It's like, oh, you performed so well. Here's my response. All I did was make her feel terrible because I was so angry that she came. Her happiness was instantly ruined because I was so immature. And I thank God that she doesn't remember that night. But what is grace? She didn't 
hate me. But Grace was that bag of McDonald's that she bought and I ate. Grace was her car that took me to her house. Grace was her loving words in spite of my harsh words. I didn't deserve any of that. Grace was her unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor that I received. And in these four verses that we read so far, we see that God has given us something far greater than a McDonald's bag in spite of how incredibly undeserving we are. That is the meaning of grace. This is what Christians are all about. God and his grace. That was the meaning of grace. So what is the measure of God's grace? How much grace did God give us? Look at verses 4 to 9. Paul says at the end of verse 4, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. What is the measure of God's grace? According to verse 7, immeasurable. Immeasurable. What did God do for us in spite of us? He gave us his only begotten son and all the benefits with him. Um, This is what theologians call union with Christ. What we deserve is God's wrath. What we receive is God's favor. God made us alive together with Christ. God raised us up with Christ. God seated us with Christ. What does it mean to be alive, raised, and seated in the heavenly places when we're all sitting down in the chapel? How is that true when we're right here? And the answer, here's a little grammar, is found with the preposition and the object. You are alive with Christ. You are raised with Christ. You are seated with Christ. All these are true because of your union with Christ. How does this make sense? Here's a good um, illustration. Imagine a woman and a man getting married. But let's pretend for our purposes now that this woman has an incredible debt. But the man she's marrying has immeasurable riches. When the man and the woman marry, the woman's debt becomes shared. The woman can't pay it, but the man can with his original riches. So now, after the man can pay it and he does pay it, now the woman is no longer in debt. But that's not all. Who did she marry? And that man has immeasurable riches, and that also becomes shared. Therefore, the woman who was in incredible debt is now immeasurably 
rich. Why? All that was hers became theirs. All that was his became theirs because of their union. It's just as much as hers as it is his. In the same way, those of us united to Christ through believing in him, having faith in him, you don't get these benefits and you don't get him if you are not wedded through faith, through believing in him. But those of us who are united to him through believing in him, all that was ours became ours and Christ's. And all that was Christ became Christ and ours. What was ours? God's wrath for our incredible debt of sins. What was Christ? Spiritual life alive. Physical life, bodily resurrection raised. A place of honor. A place of power a place of presence and favor of God forever, seated with him. We cannot pay for our debt, but Christ can, and he did. He carried that heavy, disgusting, filthy burden of our sins with him to that wretched cross, and he was crucified for them, and he endured the wrath of God for them. Christ took our debt, and he paid it in full if you believe in him. So those of us who believe in him, we are no longer in debt to God. We are no longer under his wrath. We are no longer under his condemnation. But that's not all. Christ is immeasurably rich, and what is his is now ours through our union with Christ through faith, through believing him. That's why we can say we are alive, we are raised, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. As surely as Christ is alive, those who believe in him are alive. As surely as Christ has raised or was risen from the grave, those of us who are, those of us who believe in him are risen with him. And as surely as Christ is in heaven, seated next to God, we are also seated with him through our union. And this is not just some mystical thing. This is the truth of God's word. But here's another thing. Did you know that if you are a believer, Every day that passes by, every second that passes by, this reality is becoming more fully realized. Why? We are getting closer to our death and closer to our resurrection. We are getting closer to being with God in eternity face to face. This is true now, and it's becoming more fully realized. All that was ours became Christ and ours, and all that was Christ became Christ and ours. Why did God do that for us? 
I don't know, like we were pretty messed up and some of us are pretty cute. But why did God do that? What is the measure of grace? Immeasurable. What is the meaning of grace? Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. So what is the mission of grace? What's God's purpose for us by giving us grace? Uh, Let's look at verse 10. Paul says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is the mission of grace? According to verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Uh, there's a lot in this verse, too, which I would love to talk to you about afterwards if, if you're interested. But I just want to talk about one explicit phrase which bears repeating. Created in Christ Jesus for good works or unto good works. What's the mission of grace? What's God's purpose? Christians were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay, so I have to talk about something because we Christians have a very robust robust theology on something. We cannot, no one can, earn salvation through good works because we fall short. We fall way too short. No matter how hard you may work, you can never be good enough. I can never be good enough. God is not that small. God is way out of our reach. There is not enough good that we can produce if we were able to produce good to reach God. And this is one difference with Christianity as opposed to other religions. We can't. We can't do it. God is far too big, far too perfect, holy, grand. We can't do it. And since we cannot reach God, the only logical conclusion to have a relationship with God is if God reached us. And that's what he did in Christ Jesus. And that's what we believe. So yes, we Christians defend the truth that no one in the world can earn his or her salvation through good works. Yes and amen. We believe that. But here's something that we might overcorrect and wrongly believe. We can't earn salvation through good works. Therefore, there is no point of good works. Wrong. All those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, all Christians who were created in Christ Jesus, were created for good works. According to verse 10, it says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, It does not say we do good works in order to be created in Christ Jesus. It says we do good works because we are created in Christ Jesus. And we don't overcorrect this doctrine of salvation. Um, Don't believe because you can't earn salvation through good works. There's no point of good works. You were saved to do good works. That's at least one purpose. The good works are the fruit of you being in Christ Jesus. 
Here's another way of saying this. Um, prior to God's grace, we've established that we have we had a natural inclination, disposition, ability to sin, and we have sinned. But by God's grace in Christ Jesus, we have this new inclination, disposition, ability to do good. That's what happened by grace. And these good works are the natural outcome, result, consequence of being created in Christ Jesus. And I think I, I can say an example that might help you. I'm pretty sure if you went to school, you might have heard of this by some people. Here's the opposite of what the verse is saying. Man, I work so hard to get straight A's. I work so hard. I study so hard just so my dad will love me. That's the opposite of what this verse is saying. What is this verse saying? My dad loves me so much, so I work hard. He loves me, and that's why I work hard. That's what this verse is saying. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. I'm going to talk about another tangent real quick. Some may say, well, um, if I don't do any good works, does that mean that I'm not created in Christ Jesus? So shouldn't I do good works? And there's a lot of things in that one question that we can unpack, and there's a lot of different directions we can go. But I just want to just address one thing about that question. In most of my experiences, the problem with this question is the person asking is so focused on what he or she should do that they almost come to a point of dismissing what Christ has done. It's, it's similar to this. Shouldn't I bear fruit since I'm connected to Christ? It's not necessarily a bad question, but it almost always focus, focuses on the I. Okay, so I'm going to go with the branch illustration. Imagine a vine, and let's say that vine is Jesus, and you, we are the branches through faith. Let's say there is this one branch that seemingly doesn't have any fruit, no good works. We can talk, we can inspect, we could brainstorm, spend all of our time figuring out why there is no fruit on that branch. But our time will be better served if we just make sure that branch is attached to the vine. Because if it's attached to the vine, it will bear fruit in time. It will. We can talk about the branch itself. We can talk about the fruitlessness of the branch. But our time is better served talking about the attachment of the branch to the vine. So if you are one of them, focused on your good works, and, and you know there is a place for that, but what you should do is focus more so on Christ. And maybe you, you really absolutely did not produce any good works, none whatsoever for 20 years. Then yes, examine yourself and see if you're attached to Christ. See if you are in Christ Jesus. 
See if you are in union with him. How do I know if I'm in union with him? Through faith. That's it. Do you believe in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ? Because if you do, you are in Christ Jesus. That's all it takes. That's what grace is. Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. I love that he's excited about it. Um, so I want to end our time now with a broad, broad application and brief summary. So there's a lot of applications or there's a lot of descriptions of what good, good works are in the Bible and including this epistle of Ephesians. So if you want specific examples, then you should read your Bible and you should keep reading Ephesians. But here's a broad application. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So if we take the vine and the branch illustration, you should only produce a fruit that comes from the vine. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So what should your fruit look like? It should re reflect the character of Jesus. What is one of the characteristics of Jesus? And that's what we talked about a lot today. Grace. Grace. So here's a broad application. Christians, be gracious. Be full of grace as Jesus is. If you have been forgiven and loved much, then you ought to forgive and love much. Extend the grace that you have received in thought, word, and deed. Grace. Think about if you have children, are you bringing the law upon them and condemning them or are you bringing grace and restoring them? Grace. Think about whenever you mess up and someone does something kind for you in spite of your messed up grace. That's one of the things that should mark us. That's the mission of grace. We Christians are not here to say that we are better. We Christians are here to say we are all fallen short and we need help and we don't deserve it. We are ill-deserving of it. But God is that good. Being gracious. That's the broad application. So here's a brief summary. What is the meaning of grace? Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. What is the measure of grace? Immeasurable. And what is the mission of grace? Good works. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what we're all about. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. May we in turn share what we have received. And we ask for your enabling, empowering by the Holy Spirit Help us in these ways. Help us to be, help us to extend grace to others. And some of us here um, spend a lot of time beating ourselves up 
Help us to extend and receive, help us to receive the grace you have extended. Father, may we be marked by the fruits that reflect the character of Christ. And Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us something that we should have never deserved. Thank you for your immeasurable grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.